Well, EVC, it's great to see you guys. What a great group this morning. Give yourselves a hand this morning. All right, do that. Okay, this is audience participation time. That's good, all right? Is that not an awesome, awesome song? Thank you, Danny, for that. Because that is the whole crux of this message today, that Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. And it is so awesome to be back with you uh, again as EVC and back here together off of our sabbatical, and so I am so thankful for that. As I told you last week, no one is more thankful for that than my family, okay? They are excited for me to be back with you. That was never made more evident than at the beginning of the summer because I had just been in this for about two weeks, and I was at home waiting for the girls to get home from school so that I could spend some ever-joyous father-daughter time and blissful time together and they come running in together. Kara and Allison are coming through. They come right through the living room. I'm sitting there. They don't say anything to me. They go in their rooms and change. I say, where are you guys going? Oh, we're meeting some friends at the zoo, Dad. I said, no one told me of this, okay? Why are you guys going out and doing stuff? They said, well, Dad, here's the deal. We know you're on sabbatical, but we're not used to checking with you. We typically check with mom on these things, and we checked with her, and we're going with their friends at the zoo. I was like, but I'm here. I've been here all day by myself, and now I have you guys, and I was going to spend some time with you, and nobody tells me anything, and nobody ever communicates with dad. You know, and I was doing all this, and they were like, dude, this is going to be a long summer. This is what this is going to be. So they are very happy for me to be spending more time with EVC and less time with them. Well, Pastor Bart is on the beach still in Florida. I texted him this week. Many of you know what today is, right? You know what starts today. Today begins Shark Week, okay? One of our congregants, yes, Cherie Harris, when we said Shark Week, she got giddy and started screaming, and I said, we worship Jesus Christ, not Shark Week, okay? But this is Shark Week this week, I understand, and um, I texted Bart. I said, Please don't become an episode, okay? Don't be an episode. He has an unbelievable fear of sharks. This dude could not even work, watch Sharknado, okay, a couple of weeks ago because he was so afraid of sharks. So we know that they're having a great time, but it is amazing to be back with you. And I want to express something to you coming off sabbatical, and that is thank you. Thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to do this. As Bart and I communicated, as he communicated when he came off his sabbatical two years ago, and both of us have been in ministry 20 plus years and never had done anything like this. So we're learning through the process. And again, different personalities handle it different ways. We've, we've kind of talked about that a little bit. But thank you for giving us this opportunity because what we want to model, not just for our our staff coming up, as many of them are young in ministry, and we want to help them continue to grow in this process. We want them to understand what the rest of God means. And that working continually and being involved continually is not healthy. And that resting is a part of the process. But here's the other thing we want for you. We want to model that for you as well. That this is something, when God gives us a Sabbath rest, He intends for us to use that. And it is very significant for us to do so. And we just want to say thank you for giving us the freedom to model the kind of behavior that we desire to set, not only just for us, but for this congregation and for our community as well. So again, from the bottom of our hearts, we want to thank you for that process. Today we're beginning a brand new series called We Are. 
Who are we as the body of Christ? And we want to take it, take a look at a few images today of that. And this song that we just sang beautifully paints that picture of Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. Now, many of you can't see this, and I'm sorry. So what you have here in front of me, and I will be walking all around it, is a pile of stones. And we're going to be talking about that because today that is a an emblem that shows us who we are because we are living stones built up into a spiritual household. And we're going to take that metaphor, and we're going to break it down today and see what does Scripture say about us as living stones as we are built into this spiritual household. So I'd like for you to go to 1 Peter chapter 2. There we go. That was my whole message. Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> we're done. I was looking at it back there going, are they doing all that? What's going on? All right. That was the shortest message. Don't you feel revived today? Sorry, you're here. We're going to preach. Okay, here we go. First Peter chapter two. We're going to start in the first few verses of that, starting with verse chapter or yeah, verse number four, chapter two. Okay, as you come to him, a living stone. Now, as you come to him, who's it talking about? Jesus Christ. Okay, let's be clear about who it's talking about here. Peter is writing it, but he's talking about Jesus. As you come to him, Jesus, a living stone. Rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. And you yourselves. Who's the you yourselves? Well, that's you, yourselves, okay? That is us, the body of Christ, the church. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture. And he's quoting Isaiah here. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And is a rock of stumbling and a rock of offense. I want you to understand what that means. The Greek word there is scandalon. And what it means is this. When you come to Jesus Christ, He is not a small pebble in the the road. He's a huge boulder. And either you will come to Christ and make a decision to follow Him, or you will stumble, stumble over Him and be separated from Him for eternity. You have to make a choice when you come to Jesus Christ. Either you believe that He is who He said He was. As C.S. Lewis said, He is either Lord in your life, He is a liar, Or he is a lunatic. He's either Lord in your life or he's a liar because he said he was the Christ, the son of the living God. So you have to reject that and say he must have been lying. Or he was a lunatic who was self-deluged until the point where he could not, he thought he was the Christ, but he really wasn't. He's either Lord, he's a liar, or he's a lunatic. He's one of those three. And when you come to Jesus Christ, he becomes a scandal on, a stumbling stone. Because you can't come to him and make a decision to not make a decision. Does that make sense? You must choose whether you're going to follow Christ or not. And so he says, for those who do not believe, this stone becomes a stumbling block, Jesus Christ. But you, who are we, church? You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness. And into his 
marvelous life. Amen? Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So as we come today, who are we, church? We are living stones. We are built up into a spiritual household, and we are built upon the chief cornerstone, the stone that all the children of Israel rejected, and they crucified Him. And this stone that they rejected has become the chief cornerstone of our life, and we can build our lives upon Him. So as we look at this, I want you to understand a little bit about the context of how it's being written. First of all, Peter is writing it from a Jewish mindset. Now, there are no first century Jews in the room. I've checked. Some of you look a little bit like first century Jews, okay? Oh, dude. You want throw stuff, okay? Go ahead. Go ahead, throw stuff. All right. I'm not saying who, okay? I didn't indicate who, but there are no first century Jews in the room today, okay? So none of us have the mindset that Peter starts with. So what that means for us is we must understand Peter's mindset. And is that a first century Jew calling? There we go. We must understand Peter's mindset if we're going to understand this passage. And there are several reasons for that or several different metaphors that we're going to look at today that if you don't understand that first century mindset, you're not going to get the whole metaphor. And the first is this, as he's talking about Jesus being the cornerstone and Jesus being a living stone and us being living stone. Peter is thinking about a specific instance when he was in relationship with Jesus Christ and something that happened. And it happens in Matthew chapter 16. So we're just going to take a look at this and read this. Matthew 16 verse 13, it says this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say that you're Jeremiah as one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? See, that's a huge question for us. Who do you say that Jesus is? When we stand before God in judgment, God's not going to say, who did EVC collectively say that I was? Jesus is going to ask us, who do you say that I am? So this declaration that Peter actually makes is incredibly, uh, incredibly significant for us to understand. Who do you say that I am? And then he said, Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but the father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This is what Jesus says to Peter. He's actually doing a play on words because Peter actually in Greek means a little pebble. He says, you are Peter, a little pebble. And upon this little pebble, I will build my church. You will become a rock, a petros, not just a little pebble, but a stone that the church will be built upon. Now, our Catholic friends have looked at this and seen Peter as the first pope. And therefore, who through this line of succession, the church is built upon. And that is not what Jesus was saying to Peter in the least. And we know that because of what he writes in first Peter. Because Peter is thinking about this very instance where Jesus said, I will build my church upon this foundation because Peter knew the foundation that Jesus was talking about. It was not Peter, but it was Jesus Christ. 
Now he says, Peter, the church will be built upon you. And it's not just Peter, but it's these other disciples. Because we've talked about it before. The other disciples linked up. And they were the foundation upon, if they had not been faithful to their faith to pass this on to the next generation, we would not have the church that we have today. So in a sense, the church has been built upon Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. And then every successive layer that we become built upon who Jesus Christ is. So when Peter looks at this and he says this, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. He's not talking about himself. He's talking about Jesus Christ. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So what's the image that Peter has? It's this. We see an image of a cornerstone. We have that next image. There it is. We see this image of a cornerstone. And a cornerstone, especially in first century building, was absolutely incredible. It was incredibly important because you would actually make the surface of the earth smooth and you would find a stone that you could build upon and it would become your foundation stone. And upon every layer would be, uh, would be coursed from the next course to the next course until those lines would intermingle. And if you'll just look over to this concrete wall, this cinder block wall over here, my right to your left, that's going to be a vision of what we're going to be looking at today. There's a cornerstone, Jesus Christ, that we've all been built upon. And if you'll look at these cinder blocks, each one of them is layered over other blocks. And it's not just that they're layered, but they also have this thing called mortar that's in between that links them together. Because if we had this wall here today and it had no mortar in it, and you tried to do all the things that we do and put a roof on top, and then storms would blow, if it did not have that mortar to hold it together, what would happen to that wall? It would fall. Jesus told a parable about that, that we must build on a solid foundation. If we build on sinking sand and not upon solid rock, we will not stand. And if you get anything from this message today, what I hope you get is this. We are the church, the body of Christ, but we are nothing if we are like these stones simply stacked upon each other that are just in this this pile that's up here. We are not like these stones. The Bible says that we are living stones built into a spiritual household that are interlinked with each other. Some of us believe that this expression of the church is the best expression of the church where we come and we sit and we listen and we hear God's word preached and we worship together. But you see, when I look out here, I know that for the last three and a half years as I've known many of you and as I'm getting to know many of you who are, who are new to EVC, We might be better described in this function and form as rocks that are sitting among each other but that are not connected to one another. This is not the best expression of the church. The best expression of the church is when we are like this wall, connected, stacked upon each other, and understanding that this connectedness creates within us a place where we can share who we are and be transformed in the image of Jesus Christ. What you often get to know in this setting that we see today is often the back of someone's head, okay? You get to see some the back of someone's head, and some are a little shinier than others, and others have hair, and some have poofy hair, and some have hair that's slicked down, and other things, but that's what you get to know of the body of Christ. And I'm telling you, if this is your favorite expression, you are missing out on what the greatest expression of the church is. That we are, as Peter describes us, three metaphors about the church. 
we are, first of all, a spiritual house. We are a spiritual house. For what purpose? What's the purpose of the house? The purpose of the house is to house God himself. You see, the purpose of the house that we are as the body of Christ, that you are as an individual, and when you come together collectively, when you're built upon one another, you are the living incarnation of Jesus Christ. What in the world does that mean? It means this. When Jesus died on the cross, was buried, rose again from the dead, and then ascended, He did not leave the earth in bodily form. Because what happened at that point is this. His Holy Spirit dwells in you and I. And we are the continuing incarnation in flesh of Jesus Christ here on this earth. And that, my friends, should scare us all to death. Because when your family sees you, they should be seeing the living incarnation of Jesus Christ. When you're driving in the awful congestion of construction on 820 or 183 or Grapevine Highway or 114 or 635 or George Bush Turnpike or any of these things that are what? Under construction. When you're driving on all these many roads that I know you go from this place and drive on all these roads, you are the living incarnation of Jesus Christ. When you are neighbors with your friends and awful things happen in our community and our community turns out Are we there and are we in those places in the darkest of days? Are we the living incarnation of Jesus Christ? Peter says we are. You are living stones built into a spiritual household. You are the residents of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says this. Or do you not know that you are the body? That your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you? Whom you have from God? And what? You are not your own. Because you've been bought with a price. The price of the living Savior, Jesus Christ. So, glorify God in your body. We should take care of this temple. As we did this series last year, as we watched Pastor Bart lose weight and be a living example of taking care of the body, the temple of the Holy Spirit. It matters what you put in this body. Why? Because this is the only representation that you and I will have of Jesus Christ here on this earth. So we should take care of this body. And we should use this body to promote His agenda upon this earth in the lives of our friends, family, co-workers, neighbors, in the world that God has given us. We are this, this living spiritual house. We are these living stones who are built up into it. The second metaphor is this. We are a holy priesthood. Okay, a holy priesthood. Now, not only are we uh, do we not necessarily understand this if we're not a first century Jew, we do not understand what this means to be a holy priesthood because we don't have a lot of this. Not even talking about a Catholic priest. It's talking about a Jewish or Israelite priest. So we have to have this understanding when he calls us a holy priesthood that there's a reason that he's calling us a holy priesthood. What is he talking about? We have to look at the context of this. He says that we are a holy priesthood. And he looks back at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. If you look at this, it says, For every priest chosen among men is appointed to act on the behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. In essence, what is the function of a priest? A priest does this. A priest identifies with us. You see, on the Day of Atonement, the priest would take a spotless lamb 
and he would sacrifice it. And he would take the blood of that lamb and he would symbolize that the blood of that lamb was going to cover the sin of all the people. So what was he doing? He was, in essence, identifying with the children of Israel to become their representative to then sprinkle this blood and to renew the relationship between them and God. And that's what you and I are to do. We are priests. We are to go into this world and be priests. And you know what that means? We are to bear one another's burdens. We are to identify with with each other. We are to be the body of Christ to one another. That we take each other's issues and hardships and heartaches and we hold them together. And again, when we are in this collective and not connected to each other, do we even know what's going on in each other's lives? Can you honestly look in this congregation and go two rows up right now? Go two rows up or go to the row behind you if you're on the front row. Do you know what's going on in that person's life? Do you know? Can you bear their burdens? Do you have any clue what their burden right now is? They may be struggling with a relationship with a child. They may be newly moved into our area. They may be uh, dealing with a job change. They may be dealing with a home change. They may be dealing with something else. Do you know? If you're not connected, how do you know? How can you bear one another's burdens if you're not identified as a priest with one another? This picture is this. We are to be connected with one another. This is the expression of the body of Christ, a priest. The third image that he gives us is we are to be an altar for sacrifices. Again, no first century Jews in the room, so we don't necessarily understand what this altar of sacrifices actually is. We know that Peter would actually frown upon in this establishment that we would sacrifice animals, okay? That we would do that. We know that we eat them for food, okay? And we know that we do these things, but to sacrifice an animal just to use its blood for a sacrifice... We haven't done that for 1,500 years, and we don't know what that's talking about. What is he talking about when he says we're an altar for sacrifice? I like what, what Paul actually says about this. makes it a little bit more clear in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, sisters, by the mercies of God, to what? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Not a dead sacrifice, but a living one. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So what Paul is saying is this. Every day, if we see this big subwoofer as an altar today, you and I are to be an altar where we lay our lives, not as a dead sacrifice, for a dead sacrifice is nothing that God can actively use, but as a living sacrifice. And we lay upon that altar and we say, God, I die to what? I die to myself today. And I want to live for you to do whatever you desire to do through me on this particular day. God, I die to my desires. So what do we die to? That's the question that we have to ask ourselves. Is if we are an altar to make sacrifices on, what are we supposed to be dying to? We die to ourselves. Of all the world religions, one of the things that I think is just amazing is all world religions basically have this idea that we must get rid of or do something with the self. Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, they all look at the self. And only Jesus says you must sacrifice the self, but live for Christ. All other religions try to dismiss the self. They try to slash it out with stones. They try to get rid of it in a certain way. But only Jesus says, do you have this replacement? That you 
die to yourself, but you live the Christ life out of you. Because you see, for Christianity, for us, it is this. We must die. But if we die, we have no life in and of ourselves. We have to have Christ inside in order for us to live. So this living sacrifice is what Paul and what Peter are both talking about. And he says, do not be conformed to this world. Literally pressed into the mold. Do you feel pressed into the mold? Do you feel like the world is trying to tell you through the TV, through the movies, through the magazines, through the culture, through the billboards, through your jobs, that you are to be pressed in to what the world says you should do and be? Do you feel that way? This means yes, this means no. Okay? I feel that way. But the Bible says we are not to be conformed, but we are to be transformed by the renewal of our mind, that the testing that we may, that by testing we may discern what God's will is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we see these three images. A living stones built into a spiritual household. We are to be a holy priesthood bearing one another's burdens. We are to be a sacrifice, an altar of sacrifice. We are sacrificing ourselves and living for Christ. But the whole bottom line is we are to be like this wall. The key metaphor is that we are to be like this wall built into this. But what is it that if we are this spiritual household, if we are these individual living stones built into this spiritual house, what holds us together? What does it mean and what is it? It is the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, we know that verse. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Let me ask you this. When we are connected with one another, do we need faithfulness? We absolutely do. Do we need joy? Do we need peace? Do we need patience with one another? When we are layered upon each other, when we are built into this spiritual house and somebody's rubbing against us over here, do we need a little patience? Do we need forgiveness? Do we need self-control to be able to live with others? We absolutely do. If we're going to be this spiritual house, we have to have the fruit of God's Spirit in order to live with one another. It is not easy to be in relationships. Matter of fact, I was talking with Sherry Avenchan this week, and we were talking about a study that the ladies did in the spring. And they were talking about how Satan obviously gets involved in our lives. And how Satan wants to destroy relationships. Do you see that everywhere in our culture? That Satan wants to destroy relationships. And how he does it in your home. And how he does it on the way to church. Isn't that interesting how he tends to do that? That's the reason Jennifer and I never speak to one another on a Sunday morning. Okay? I leave the house when she's asleep. We never have an argument before we get to church on a Sunday. And we might have an argument on Sunday afternoon. But never before we get to church to worship, okay? We don't even talk. But Satan wants to destroy relationships. And the meaning of this message today is all about connection. Now, many of you know that I grew up working with my father building houses. And what that meant for the boss's son is that I worked with every subcontractor that came through, and I was basically their glorified gopher to do whatever they needed to do. We built every aspect of the house. We started with the foundation. We worked with the concrete guys to pour the foundation. We framed the house ourselves. We did the finished carpentry ourselves. But we worked always with the plumbers, with the painters. 
And I, my personal favorite, to, was to work with the bricklayers. Now, why? This particular individual, his name was Cleo. And I worked with Cleo on many different job sites. And I learned tremendous things from Cleo. One of the things I learned from Cleo is that you can have a cigarette in your mouth and attach it to your lip and carry on a full conversation that everyone can understand you. And it will just flip just like this. And he would talk and the cigarette would flip. And I'm just like amazed. How does it do that? How does that cigarette stay in Cleo's mouth? So I learned that from Cleo. I learned a few other things. I learned about old-time country music. Can I get an amen out here today? There we go. I do have a few of you here today. No clapping. You have a clap for anything today. Don't clap for country music, okay? <laughs> but I learned old-time country music from listening and working underneath Cleo as he would potentially drop bricks upon my head. But and I heard a song that goes like this. Well, I'm going to hire a wino to decorate our home so you'll feel more at ease here and you won't have to roam. We'll take out the dining table and put a bar along the wall and a neon sign to point the way to a bathroom down the hall. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Why is Randy not the worship pastor, said no one. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> Country music. Now, I could have sang There's a Tear in My Beer or a Conway Twitty song, something about a slow hand. Those are also songs that I learned, but I chose that one. But I learned some incredible things from Cleo. And Cleo was a bricklayer for the most part, but my favorite type of house that we would do that I would get to watch Cleo was a stone house. Because Cleo would go to a pile of rocks like this and he'd pick up his mason's hammer and his mason's hammer looked nothing like this because this is brand new and never been used, okay? So I had to buy it for just this purpose for $22.95, I might add. So. But Cleo would come to a bunch of rocks like this and he'd know just the right one to, to pick for the next stone that he actually needed. And in Cleo's hand, this was an incredible tool as he would chip different things away. And he would do different things with that stone to make it what? To make it fit right where he wanted it to fit. And you and I are living stones that Jesus Christ has said, you are chosen and precious. I have picked every single one of you out for just my purpose. And as I picked you, I chose you, and I have begun in relationships, not without connection, but in relationships, I've begun to chip at you. And that's friction, and it hurts, but because there's forgiveness and peace and joy in these relationships of connections that we call at EVC, we call them life groups, because there's connection like that, we can go through some of that chipping. Because many of you, just like we talked about in this last series, have gone through difficulty. And as Pastor Bart talked about, you're either coming out of a storm or you're getting ready to go in the storm or you're in the midst of a storm. And without a sense of connection to the body of Christ, you hurt and you go through difficulty. And there's different things that happen to us that don't feel very good. And without that connection, we don't know what it means to experience the love of Jesus Christ 
to take the gentle chipping instead of the huge knock against our life. My question for you and I today is this. Have you ever gone through relationships like this? Where you had someone that you could trust that would chip away at the different things. Where you could sacrifice your pride and your humility. And you could, in a humble way, receive what God wanted to do in the chipping of your life to make you into a spiritual living stone into a house that he could occupy and he could live in. The tragedy is this, that many of us live unconnected and we feel alone. And we think that the church is just a pile of stones when it's really a place where Christ chooses us up and dusts us off and places us right where he wants us in relationship with each other. Now, this morning I want to do one final thing. And that is this. I could tell you all day long the benefits that come from being in a life group together. Or I could show you what that looks like with living people. Sarah and Jimmy, would you guys go ahead and make your way up right here in the center if you would. Just a few months ago, we had our our latest newcomers class. It was actually our, I believe it was our second to last newcomers class. Uh, and we're getting ready to do this again. So on August the 18th, we're going to be doing this. And we're going to have a newcomers lunch. And we'd love to invite you to be a part of that. Go ahead and hold that for me, brother. But as you do that, as you come into this newcomers class, one of the things that we do is we put you together with eight weeks with typically people that you've never met before in your life. And two times ago, we had just a phenomenal expression of this and a new life group that formed out of it. I want you to meet some of those folks today. This is Jimmy and Sarah Chestnut. Jimmy, how long have you guys been coming to EVC? Since November. Since November, all right. And then was your first uh, experience kind of coming to this newcomers class? Yes. Is that kind of what you've done? All right. Sarah, let me ask you this. Have you guys been involved? Have you ever been in a life group before up to this point? Never. Never even heard of them. Never even heard of what a life group is, okay? And... Did you, um, would you, would it be safe to say that you have come from a place in some relationship with church where you've kind of gone through some of that chipping, but in an unconnected way, and you've been wounded by some of those things? We have been wounded by churches since the day we got married. Yes. Wow. And see, that's sad to think that the church, instead of being a place where we can be safe, is a place of oftentimes hurt. We're going to meet some other folks in this life group. Jason and Tanya, would you come on up here? So, Jason, I'm going to let you grab that mic right up there and pull a seat down there for Tanya. I'm actually going to let you guys come on down. So, Jason and Tanya. This is Jason and Tanya Tucker. It's not Tanya Tucker, is it? Would you sing for us? No. Okay. We won't, we won't do that for you, all right? But, Jason, let me ask you this. Um, have you ever been in a life group before? No. Okay. Would you say that if I had told you last August that you would be here in church with your wife and your kids coming on a very regular basis, would you say that that would be true? Nope. And I'd put what I got in my pocket now to bet against it. You'd bet against that? I would have. How do you know these folks down here? Jimmy is uh, my wife's brother, and Sarah, you know, that's my sister-in-law, and uh, yeah, we're family. 
Have you gone to church before with them? I know. I keep having to stop. Have you ever gone to churches with these guys before? Uh, yes, but it was give or take months in between. You know, if if I showed up, it was it was a miracle. You okay. know, and, but now we see them every Sunday, and we see them every other Saturday, and a couple times in between. So. Awesome. All right, Terry and Nicole Henry, would you guys make your way up here? And by the way, this is not this entire group. This is less than half of them that you'll see this morning. But uh, and the other thing, great thing about this, some of the couples that you won't see, the Phillips who are in their 60s, and uh, then Ronnie and Pam Stoltz who are also in their 60s as well, as plus several others of you that are in this group out here today. So this is Terry and Nicole Henry. So hello, how are you? Uh, there we go. Good. That one on. There we I go. Don't know. There it is. How do you guys know these guys right here? My wife went to school with those two. You introduced them. I did. Congratulations. Way to go. Good job. Thanks a lot. <laughs> I didn't ask for that, all right? Tell me, what. Uh, how long have you guys been coming to EBC? Uh, off and on for about three or four years. Okay, so this group was not your first experience here at EBC. And so you've gotten involved with, like, several different life groups over that time period, and you were just... You were no. you knew what it was all about? No, no. no we didn't, we didn't teach you what it was about. No, we, because shame we on us. It was off and on. It was off and on. What would you say is the reason why you have really been here consistently over the last six months? Because I needed a change in my life. Mm. Um, we we would find our escape in partying and um, other substances, and we just knew that wasn't the way. It was a Temporary fix. We were looking for something more permanent. Something more permanent. Yeah. And you were just baptized just not too long ago with your son TJ yes. as well. Yes. That's awesome. Let me introduce one other couple. This is Jorge and Blanca Tapiero. And they are just like all these other couples in that you guys knew all of these folks prior to coming here to EBC, right? Here you go, Jorge. Now that oh sorry that accent is a little bit different. Where are you from? Originally Columbia, South America. Okay, not Columbia, South Carolina. No, no, no. <laughs> Columbia, South America. And then where do you live? New where Jersey live? for about thirty-five years. New Jersey. Now they said of Jesus, "Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of New Jersey?" <laughs> Blanca did. Jorge, we're still the the. The jury is still out a little bit. Jorge, how did you guys find EVC? Uh, I was a vocational pastor in uh, Terrytown, New York. The Lord called me to come to Texas, and um, we, through a uh, manager at my company, uh, met Linda Sharp, and she's a real estate agent. She's a member of this church. She was driving us around looking for houses, and she stopped in front of this building. I was thinking to myself, Linda, I'm not buying that building. <laughs> I've got it. Linda, I've got a big family, but that's a little bit much. Okay? But she said to us was, that's my church, and you need to come here when you move here. So that's where we're here today. All right. So Linda Sharp, she may be our greatest recruiter right out here. There you go. I asked this in the first service. Anybody else that Linda attempted to sell a house for to, to here at EVC, and you, she stopped you and said, hey, you should come to EVC. Anybody else in here? Okay. Well, it worked for you guys anyway. Keep trying, Linda. All right. Keep working it. All right. So. But, but, Jorge, you were actually a bivocational pastor there as yes, well. Sir. 
Yes, sir. And you didn't know any of these folks? Not at all. So how did you guys get connected? I mean, how, how does this group get connected? Through the newcomers class, we the eight weeks together, we all cried. I think it's Sarah and myself that cried every weekend. <laughs> um, God called us down here and... Um, just gave me reassurance through EVC and specifically with the life group because the life, this life group has become our family. We didn't have any family here. And they have become our life group. And we praise God for the, this life group. Awesome. Now, I want you to just take a look at every person that's up here. Okay? Just as we introduce real normal people, everyday folks here at EVC. These are living stones. Okay? You get what I'm saying? I could tell you what a life group is and why it's important, but you're going to hear from them why it's important to them. And I want you to identify with somebody. My guess is, as you're here and you look up here and as you have heard some part of a story, you kind of identify with somebody as they said something this morning. Or maybe you look at them and you identify with someone. They all look exactly alike, right? Very homogenous group here, all right? No, they don't look anything alike. What I wanted you to hear is that there was a connection between some of these, but if you looked at the rest of the life group, there was no connection prior to coming to this newcomer's class. We did not design this to say, this group is coming to our newcomer's class, and we're going to see if you guys fit together. We don't force a group to come out of every newcomer's class, but when God does it, it's obvious that He does. Now, let me ask you guys a question. Why is this group significant to you? What is it about this group that makes it what it is? Sarah, let me start with you. What is it about this group that connects you here and that you can feel what when you come to this group? I've got my tissue now, so I'm good. Right? Okay. You got yours? Okay. So, um, like Jorge said, I, we cry. and um, You cry. I cry. I'm, I'm good at it. Um, <laughs> I've had a lot of practice this last year um but it's okay too and i feel safe Mm. and i can be vulnerable and nobody's gonna judge me and they're gonna hold me up and they're gonna hold him up while he's holding me up and it's okay Mm. How, how did you know that you could be vulnerable in this setting um when we were in the the eight week newcomers course um the biggest guy in there fell apart. Mm. And I knew that if he could do it, then I could do it. Wow. So it was a safe place for you. It was it was safe from the get-go. Did and you feel some of that chipping I was talking about earlier in your own character and some of the things that were going on? It hasn't stopped yet. Okay. It hasn't stopped yet. And I'm not ready for it to be done yet because I have to be better for me. I have to be better for my kids. I have to be better for my husband. But I know through all this that it's not about me. Mm. That he's getting me ready for something else, for somebody else. And I have to be better for them. Okay. And this has been a vulnerable, safe place for that to happen. Jason, let me ask you. Not having, not, you've never done a life group before. Uh, It's not been, what has this group been for you specifically? Uh, this group just means the world to me now. Um, you know, we all look at each other as really close family now. It's, uh, you know, I come from a broken home and all that kind of stuff anyways, but 
I've never practiced my spiritual life in my real, you know, everyday life. Mm. And to be able to, I guess, put those two together, it's different. You know, it took me out of my comfort zone, put me in a different place. But now, you know, I thrive for it. You know, it's it's something I look forward to now. So all the other things, I mean, you're a busy guy. Yeah. You work a lot of hours. Y'all have young kids. Yeah. You have jobs that you have to do. You have responsibilities. Would you say that this group is a priority in your week or every other week? Absolutely. It's something to look forward to. Awesome. It is. This guy is the poster child of EBC. I've told you this. If you don't have a tattoo or Wranglers or you don't have boots on today. Not today. Then then you probably don't feel welcome at EBC, okay? This is EBC. We are Jason. All right? Amen. Nicole, Terry, what's what's the group been like for you? Um, it's been wonderful, um, especially all of the food. It's been <laughs> really, really good. Yeah. So, so you guys eat together. That's part of what you guys Absolutely. do. Absolutely, everybody brings a dish, and um, we all just. What happens around the meal? Why is the meal? Does that seem to be an important part of what you guys do? Um, yes, it's where we kind of talk about the week. That's when we really get. How are the kids? How's the family? Um, we build that relationship during that point. Um, so, but not only the food; it's the spiritual food mm-hmm. also that that I get from that. Awesome. It's um, come to find out we're all teachers, and they've all taught me something. Mm. And they are family. So, that's great. Okay, Blanca, I'm going to come over to you. Blanca, I know that uh, Blanca's wor- still working on her English, and I have convinced, told her. So am I, right? Okay. We're all, we're all working on this. But, Blanca, what has this group meant to you? And the environment that sometimes it's your house, sometimes it's, it's somebody else's house. It doesn't necessarily stay in one place. But why is that environment so special, and what's this group meant to you? Yes. Well, um, one of the things that I um, um, is good, is good to me is because uh, I have the opportunity to practice. Uh, my primary language is Spanish. But my English is so bad, but I'm, I'm um, learning with my brothers and sisters. And uh, we're, for me, my, my life group is as a family. And as a family, I can count on them. Uh, we eat together. We cry together. We laugh together. But the most important thing, we're growing um, up spiritually together. And in, back in New Jersey, we have the smallest house of the family. We have a big family, 54, and the 55 member is, is coming. Um, uh, n- not in our family. <laughs> okay. I thought you had a surprise for me there. <laughs> when I came, uh, to, we, when we t- uh, took the eight uh, classes for the newcomers, uh, when the, the last class, um, we're, we're, um, we were uh, sad because the class uh, were finished soon. So we offer our house. Uh, now God put us in a big house. We never dreamed to live in a big house. But we have to remember that we're not, uh, the, all the things that we have not belong to us. All the good things that we have, uh, um, God gave us. So mm. we have to use it for his glory. Mm. If you have little, 
serve God with, with the little things that you have. If you have a lot, share with others the blessing that God mm. gives you. So it's the most important thing in life. Uh, and the only thing that we can um, um, take with us with we're going to the presence of our Father is the work that we, we, do, for, uh, we do for him. Oh, that's awesome. Jimmy, I know this has been a great group and place for you. Yes. God gave you something that you really wanted you to share about what this group has meant for you. Well, see, what, what it really has meant is because the church we came from, we only met on Sundays. So, you know, I was starving. Now, I get it all the time. Mm-hmm. It's just like a buffet. <laughs> I mean, it's, Amen. it's a spiritual buffet. You know, because when I, when I read during the week, I don't get much. But then I can take it and start bouncing it off of people. Mm-hmm. Bounce it on, on different, and you know, you just get different words, different meanings from different scriptures. It's mm-hmm. awesome. Again, I could tell you what a life group could mean for you. Or I could show you what it means to real people just like you. You know, as you think about this, and you're in this place today, there's a couple of different people that are here. You've either, like many of these, you've never been in a life group. And it seems scary, and it seems, do I really have the time? I hope you can see that it can make that kind of a difference for you that it's made for them. Others of you have been hurt in relationships at church by other people, and you're going, do I really want to do this again? Here's what we want to ask you. In the month of September, we're going to be doing a four-week series And with that series, we are going to begin some brand new life groups with as many as we possibly can to connect as many of you as we possibly can. Here's our big ask from you. Would you give us four weeks? You know what? You can do anything for four weeks, right? You can try something for four weeks. Every one of these folks are busy. They're active. They're involved not only here but in their children's lives and in what's going on at their schools and other things. Would you give us four weeks? Now, there's a card in front of you, or if you're on the front row, it's underneath your chair. But it looks just like this. Would you grab this? We didn't put it in the bulletin because I know you well enough to know that if it had been in the bulletin, you would have pulled it out, and this would have been the only thing you would have seen, and you would have come up with all the different excuses of why this is good for somebody else, but it's not good for me. So I want you to take a look at this card for just a second. In September, second week of September, we'll be beginning this. So the whole month of August... We're asking you, would you give us four weeks? We promise you that you don't have to teach it. All you have to do is be able to open up your home and be able to push play on a DVD player because it's a video teaching, and then you'll simply ask some questions together around that group. Would you give us four weeks to see what the living stones built up into a spiritual household is really all about? On the bottom of that, it simply gives you another ask. Would you consider opening your home? Here's why. As you see all of these people, I think you identified yourself with some of them. But here's the next step I want you to go. As you see them, you probably identified other friends, family, neighbors that are in your world. As you heard their story, you probably heard some thought of some people in your world that would never come to a church building, but they will come to your home. Would you be willing to open up your home for four weeks and simply gather a group together and do some life together in this process? So that's the big ask for you. Take this card. 
and decide whether you will come to that scandal on of Jesus Christ and say, I'll be willing to go with him or to turn away. You make that choice. Will you be a part of this process for four weeks? So fill that out. You can put it in the offering baskets in a little bit. We have our offering boxes at the back. You can give those to me. But again, we'll be doing this through the whole month of August, getting ready for this in September. Would you pray with me this morning? And as we pray, I'm going to let you guys go on down. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, I just want to encourage you that you can make this commitment today to be a part of a a life group just for four weeks. At the end of that four weeks, if the group continues on, great. If it doesn't, we'll assume that's what God wanted. As we pray this morning, I just want you to think about how are you a living stone? How are you a holy priest? How are you an altar of sacrifice in your life? Father, I thank you for each one of these lives. And Lord, the eternity of each one of them was changed and impacted by this place and by you, most importantly. Lord, show us how we are living stones built up into a spiritual house. If there's someone here this morning that they've come to to you and they've come to that rock in the road of Jesus Christ and Lord, they must make a decision. Lord, I pray that your spirit would speak to them this morning, that they would make a decision to follow you as opposed to walking away. Lord, for those who need to be challenged and, and Father, uh, encouraged to be a host of one of these groups, for those who need to be in a group, Lord, I pray that you would speak, Holy Spirit, to each of our lives in Jesus' name.
and God's people. God, we, we are the weak that are made strong in your love. 